Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. We are in this study of the book of Revelation. We're calling it wartime letters because in every war, soldiers who were on the front lines, the battlefront, one thing that they would say that kept them going while they were in battle or in the war was letters that they received from home. And the book of Revelation is really all about that. It's Jesus' letter to Christians who are in the middle of war. And the book, broadly, is meant to encourage us. And so we're going through it, and it will encourage us. Um, The book of Revelation begins with Jesus. It begins, he's writing seven letters to seven churches. And what we're doing is we're looking at each one of these letters sent to each one of these churches. Now, these letters were specifically sent to specific churches, seven churches in seven locations, all located in modern Turkey today. But each of these letters are incredibly practical and have application for us today. And so that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be going going through each one of these letters and looking at the churches and what God would have them know and what he would have us know as well. Now, here's the deal. Before we get to the text, I want to um, share a story with you, and I hope this story is um, helpful because it has informed me what I'm going to tell you about the book of Revelation. Um, When my wife and I were living in East Africa for nine years, we were with um, Missionaries East Africa, and this one year, I received a phone call from one of my seminary professors in the state states, and he calls me. He's a dear friend of mine, and he calls me, and he says this. He goes, hey, Travis, um, I've been asked to lead a, a biblical or a study tour of the seven churches of Revelation, and so I'm doing that. I got a, you know, they got a big bus, and he's teaching, and he's doing this, and he says, hey, if you guys want to, grab a plane, fly into Istanbul, jump on our bus, and you can hang out with us for several weeks as we go see all of these churches. And I'm like, well, that'd be pretty cool. So, you know, we do, you, well, we contact, I don't know, Turkish Airways. Um, so once again, I don't, I don't know much about them today. They, they may very well be a great airline, but just from my experience, they're not, you know, a premium airline. Nonetheless, they get us there, okay? They get us there, and uh, we get out of the plane, we go through Istanbul, we find my professor, we get on the bus, and for several weeks, you know, we drive all around Turkey, we see every single one of these church locations, we visited them, you read the text, you have a devotion, you do all the study, it's, it's, it's all fantastic. Now, you might sit there and think this, well, Travis, did you get any, I don't know, insights from visiting all of these locations. And um, to the book of Revelation, did you get any specific insight? And I would say broadly, I really didn't get a lot of additional insight. Surprisingly enough, scripture is sufficient, you know? I did, I did learn this. I learned that Istanbul is a really cool city. I learned that um, Turkey is a beautiful country, beautiful people. I learned this, some of you may already know this, but um, Turkish delight, it's a candy 
It don't taste good, man. I don't care. You read, you read the line, the witch in the wardrobe, and that kid's just eating that stuff. It's not good. I'm just telling you, all right? But there was one thing that really struck me. This is the one grand thing that I really take home and informs me on the book of Revelation. And we went to every one of those locations, those, those cities, and not one of those churches are still there today. I mean, you may think very well, well, that was 2,000 years ago. Of course they're not there today. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's really no churches there today. You're going to be hard-pressed to even find a Christian. There's really no evidence that a church ever existed there at all. And here's my point as we're going through these seven letters. It don't matter, it don't matter how big your church is. It don't matter how much activity you got going on. If you take your eyes off Jesus, it don't matter, man. It don't matter. It don't matter. I mean, no, seriously. I'm going to tell you, you, you look at our church. You look at our church. It's a big church, man. Big church. True story. Six years ago, maybe seven, not counting, a while ago, I'm reading an article in a Christian magazine or something like that, and it gave the 100 largest Southern Baptist churches in America, and I'm like reading down there, our church was like number 57. That's a big church, man. Big church. Don't matter. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how pretty this building is. Doesn't matter how well our air conditioner works. If we take our eyes off of Jesus, our legacy may be a legacy of ineffectiveness. And so as we read these letters, every one of them, I want us to continually be asking us ourselves this question. Which of these letters, if Jesus wrote to me or to our church, would be the letter that we received? And so we begin by looking at the first church, the church in Ephesus. Let's see what the risen Lord would tell this church 2,000 years ago. Chapter 2, verse 1. Let's begin by looking at their faithful works. That's where we begin. Verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. You got an imperative there, write. It's a command by Jesus. And we're told this letter is written specifically to the word there. It will Greek, angel. It could also mean messenger, the angel or messenger. Once again, we talked about this last week. There's some debate about what that is. It's either a real angel, you know, a literal angel, or the church leadership. But it's written to this church in the city of Ephesus. And that's a location. It's a real location. You can visit it today. Now notice this. The word church used here is the word ekklesia. That word means it's written to an assembly of people gathered together to worship the living God. I want you to understand this letter is not written to a building. This letter is written to an assembly of Christians, just like here. This is an assembly of Christians in this one to the church in Ephesus. A real church, a real city. So we're 
literally looking at a letter written to a real church in a real city, and all these truths apply to that period in that church, but each of these churches also represent a type of church that has been present throughout the church age even today. So we go through these letters and there's going to be difficulties and problems in each of them. And any church at any time could have some of these problems or a mixture of these problems. And some of them might even be in this room today. Let's keep going. Continuing verse 1. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. We talked about that last week. This is Jesus it lets us know that this word, this letter, is coming from the mouth of the living God, Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior. And he begins, he begins this way. He's going to begin by telling the church all the things they are doing correctly. All right? And every one of these letters, it's going to be the same pattern. Jesus begins with an encouragement, and then he's going to let them tell tell them what they're not doing. So it's a commendation followed by a condemnation. All right? Here's what Jesus says to this church. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. And so, and so he, begins, he begins with this incredible encouragement, Right? And there's not just one encouragement. There's a lot of good things going on here. There's a lot. We could walk through all of them. Let's just talk about a few of them, all right? He begins. To this church in Ephesus, he says, number one, man, I know your deeds. I know your works. I know your labor. Once again, that word in Greek is kapos. It means that they are laboring to the point of sweating, to exhaustion. They're exhausted. They're working hard. So we see the picture of this church in Ephesus. This is a faithful church. These are a people who work hard. They volunteer many hours. These are not a people who want to simply be entertained. These are people who labor for Christ with a major effort, right? And Jesus says, I know that. Like I see that, I, I know that. And I'll tell you this about the church in Ephesus. Because of their service, the church in Ephesus had become an epicenter of missionary activity in the whole region. In fact, I believe probable all six of the other churches were planted by this church. This is a serious, good church. They work. Second, he says, he says, I know your perseverance, right? They were persisting. Even though they were beating down, even they'd been cast out, they endured it. They remained faithful. They were hanging on. And truth be told, Ephesus was a very difficult place to minister. It was a difficult place to have a church. There was all sorts of spiritual opposition. There was something like, I don't know, in, in Ephesus, there was something like 50 different god and goddesses worshipped. Now, you go around our city, you're going to see a lot of different churches, you're going to see a lot of different denominations, but by and large, they're all going to be Christian. Not so in Ephesus. Prostitution was legalized. It was a very difficult place. It was a hard place to raise a family. It was a very, diff it was a very difficult place to be a Christian. Now, I would say this. Let me just say this. This is something I think, I, think, I think you know, but I want to say this. I want to make sure we're aware of this, okay? 
We live in a place that is relatively easy to be a Christian. It is relatively easy to be a Christian. In fact, here's an odd, not odd, but it's true. There are actually some advantages to being a Christian in the city we live in. I mean, some people aren't Christians and they pretend to be Christians just because they want to get an advantage. I I could give you lots of examples. There are businessmen, they may be Christians, I don't know, but there are businessmen who advertise that they're Christian or they put a Christian fish, fish on their advertisement. Why? Because there's an advantage. In our city, there's an advantage when you do that, right? Every politician's going to tell you they're a Christian if they want to get voted from here. What about this one? Every single guy I know who wants to meet a single girl, they lead with, I'm a Christian, right? Why? Because it's their advantage. And where we live in this city, there's an advantage for a guy to identify as a Christian. Now, I'm not saying everything is rosy here. I'm not saying there's not some opposition here. But I am saying, for the most part, guys, it's pretty easy to be a Christian here. You ain't not, we're not going to be losing our jobs. Nobody's going to be shooting us or killing us or whatever. It's not going to happen here, but not so in Ephesus. In Ephesus, you can, you can lose your, your job. You, you, you can lose your life. You can lose your prestige. But these guys remain faithful. And Jesus says, I know that and I see that. And these guys hung on. That's good. That's good. That's fantastic. That's a strong church. Next thing he says is, well, he says, generally, you got, they got sound doctrine. This was a church where there's not heretics. This is a church where they did not have false doctrine. They're not out there reading crazy books. They're not chasing, I don't know, fairy tales and myths. They're not out there, you know, quoting scripture out of context on social media. No. They, they know what they're talking about. And he says, you guys are smart, you're humble, you open your Bible, you read your Bible, and you test everything according to what you read in the Bible. Now, I'll tell you this about that church. It's not surprising that they were theologically on top of things. That church was planted by the apostle Paul. That was Ephesus. That was a church, man. Timothy served there, Tychicus served there, Aquila, Priscilla, Apollos, Luke, all served there. John, the apostle, was an elder pastor in this church. The early membership of the church in Ephesus reads like a who's who in the New Testament. It's amazing. Can you imagine you going to church and someone's like, who planted your church? The apostle Paul planted my church. I don't know. This is a serious church, strong church. Number four, he says they had, I don't know, I said spiritual discernment. Like it says, he says, you tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. In other words, they know their doctrine. They knew how to evaluate someone who says they're a teacher but they were a heretic. Do you know what Jesus calls, do you know, do you know what Jesus calls heretics? Calls them wolves. Wolves, that's what Jesus calls them, wolves. And he continues, there's much, there's another verse. He's gonna add, verse three, check this out. If that was not enough, man, there's more great things about this church. You have persevered, you have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Through all of this, we see that they remained faithful. They endured it all and they did it all for the right reason. The text says they're doing all that for my name. 
Their motive was pure. These are not false people. These are people you would call spiritual marathoners. Paul says in Galatians 6, 9, this is to us and to Galatians, but let us not grow weary in doing good. And you know you can. Church, you can. This church didn't in Ephesus, but you can. You can grow weary from doing good, right? From, from, from disappointment and gratitude, you know, criticism, but not that church. They remained faithful, all right? So we see all that. We see other stuff too. We go in more detail, but that's a lot. No, imagine, church. Imagine that we received a letter from Jesus. No, see, I don't know how we'd get here, but, you know, we get a letter. And I'm like, I say, hey, guys, let's get together. We got a letter from Jesus. We all assemble like we're assembled now. And I open the letter, and I pull it out, and I go, this letter's from Jesus. And you how do you know it's from Jesus? Well, it's written in red, right? So it's, red, it's all red letter. It's all Jesus. All right? Now, so we're reading it, and we read all that stuff. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's amazing. What church would not love to receive this letter? But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there because now Jesus is going to move to a condemnation. He goes from their faithful works, now we're going to see their, their faithful works, now their fatal weakness. Verse 4, he begins, yet. Ah. Oh, yet, not yet. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. That's heavy, man. Interesting. And so I'm thinking, that's interesting. Jesus just said a, a commendation, something good. You guys hate wolves. That's good. But now he just says, but you're not loving the sheep. That's bad. And you're, whoa, 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 whoa. How is that possible? How is it possible that you can hate the sheep but not love the shepherd? It just sounds so contradictory. But we all know it's not uncommon, right? It's not, especially in established churches. It happens. I don't know why, but it seems the longer you study, the more you persevere, the more you achieve, the more you accomplish, the more you serve, the more you give, the more you pour yourself out over time, you can become more unloving. And that's exactly what happened here. They don't have the wrong books on the bookshelf. They're not listening to the wrong podcast. They don't have the wrong teachers in the pulpit. Jesus' criticism is, and I've been thinking about a good word to use here, and here's the word I'm going to use. Jesus' Jesus criticism is they had become Christian jerks, right? You all know what a Christian jerk is. I mean, we know. And if you don't know, there's one, once again, offer me grace, there's some truth here. But you can find these guys really almost at any coffee shop in town. Like they know their theology. They got their graphs. They got their charts. They got John Grudem's systematic theology. It's a big book, man. It's a big book to set your coffee on. And they got it all figured out. And they're really serious. They can translate vicarious substitutionary atonement from the Greek. But they're jerks, right? 
They're not fun to be around. And truth be told, churches can become like that too, right? We call it fundamentalism, right? The church. We preach right, right? We, we, we read the right books. We're a Bible-believing church. Great. But are you nice, man? Are you loving? That's a question. Now, I'm not saying we don't have doctrinal distinctives. I'm not saying we don't have a clear theology. Theology does matter. But I tell you what, we got to be filled with God the Spirit, and we must be loving. We must. And that's where this church is kind of slipping into. Are they, they're already there. And he's like, you're doing all these things great, and it's awesome, and I see it, and I love it, and it's awesome. Stop being jerks, man. Stop it. So how do you combat it? How do you combat that? Hey, how do I combat that? Because I can have a propensity to be in the same boat, right? And so now we're going to see what they need to do. We'll see the final warning. Here's the final warning, verse 5. Here's what Jesus says. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Paraphrase, I'm going to paraphrase. Jesus says, knock it off. Church, knock it off. Stop it. Stop being jerks. Stop being unkind. Don't be looking, don't be looking for every opportunity to argue. Don't, don't be getting your pet little doctrine, learning all the points and subpoints of your pet little doctrine, and then go ambush another Christian and beat them on the head with it. Knock it off. Knock it off. Repent, because that's sin. And after you repent, here's what Jesus says to do. Start doing what you did at first. That seems so simple. Just stop it. Stop being ugly. Well, what do I need to do? Do what you did at first. No, think about it. I've been thinking about this. What did I do at first? Brand new Christian. Brand new What do brand new Christians do? They love Jesus. They read their Bible, they pray, and they're really nice people. <laughs> He's really nice. Jesus said, go back, go back to doing that, man. Go back there. You know, maybe, you for, maybe, maybe, okay, here, here's an exercise. Maybe you have forgotten what it was like at first. And here's an exercise you can do. Go find a brand new Christian. We're blessed to have many around. And hang out with them. Hang out with them, man. New Christians... <laughs> new Christian man, new Christians. I love them, man, but they kind of crazy radical. They're kind of scary, man. New Christians. I got new. I remember told me all my great stories are with new Christians, man. I remember um, a guy got saved and he's hanging out in my house and he starts reading his Bible. We got him a Bible. He comes to my house like the next day and he opens his First Corinthians and and every line was highlighted. I'm not joking. It was like a highlighter. And I'm like, well, how do you, how do you, how do you know, you know, distinguish? It's all highlighted. He goes, well, I underline what I need to pull out. And he's just highlighting everything. everything. What about this one? New Christian. Yeah, this is a convo. You can have the conversation. You have the Christian. New Christian. Like, they tell me, okay, okay. Hey, Travis, I'm reading my Bible. Great. Awesome. How's it going for you? They say this. <laughs> they go, they go, I was reading my Bible. And my Bible says that I'm supposed to share my faith with my neighbor. Great, you should. He goes, well, here's what I did. I put my Bible down. I went to my front door, went out, took a left, 
went to my neighbor's house, knocked on the door, they answered, and I told them about Jesus. I don't know, dude. I don't know. How'd it go? They're coming to church next week. Great. But that's new Christians, man. New Christians, man. And Jesus said, go back. Go back there, man. That's great you know all this theology. You should. Go back. Go back. Go back. You know, I have never had a new Christian complain about the music in the service. I've never had a new Christian complain about the music. True story, man. When someone gets saved, quite often for the next four to six weeks, I will receive a text after every message, and they're telling me that is the greatest sermon they ever heard. I like it. But listen, the deal is it's actually the first time they've heard sermons with the indwelling spirit, and so it makes me sound even better, you know. But none of the way, right? It's actually not uncommon for us to tell new Christians you can't volunteer for everything, right? We seldom tell that to mature Christians. But I'm telling you, hang out with new Christians. Just get back to that. Get back to that. Repent what you're doing and get back to that, to that. And I would say, that's good advice. All right. Well, what if we don't do that? Well, he's going to tell us. <laughs> Look at verse 5. If you do not repent... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I want to stop there because, once again, Scripture um, encourages me. Scripture does a lot of things. One of the things Scripture does to me from time to time is it disturbs me. That disturbs me. Let me tell you why that disturbs me. Jesus, I counted. I could have counted wrong. But Jesus just told them about nine things that they were doing awesome. You know, awesome, awesome. You, you just, you, you're just cracking out the park. Nine things. He just said one thing they're doing poorly. And now he says, if they don't stop that, he's going to take that lampstand away. I'm like, that sounds kind of extreme. You're telling me, you're telling me one persistent sin that we don't repent of could result in the loss of the lampstand and Jesus says yeah it's my church man I do what I want to with it and I'm telling you right now if you do not repent and return there is the distinct possibility that that lampstand will be removed and so that leads me to this question I was thinking about is this church a dying church is this a dying church No, it's not a dying church. We're growing. We're thriving. But I wonder, are the seeds of destruction already in our church now? Are there things that we need to be repenting of now? And if there are, God, please show us. Please show us. Please show us. Because I don't want to miss it. And you don't want to miss it. And Jesus is serious here. You got a lot of good stuff going on, Ephesus. But if you don't stop acting like jerks, man... Get back to where you started. I may remove. I may remove the church. Verse 6. He's going to say they got one more thing in their favor. But you have this in your favor. Once again, we could spend a lot of time here. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That's in their favor. And you just said, that's in your favor. Okay. Who are the Nicolaitans and what do they teach? We do not have a huge detailed picture of their theology. We know that they had two errors. One, syncretism. 
Syncretism, they like, hey, we want to be like the world. We want to be, act like the world. In fact, we want the world and the church to kind of sync up, you know, so there is no, um, I don't know, distinguishing view from either one. Just synchronize, right? Syncretism. If it's out there, let's bring it in here. Second error they had was immorality, self-indulgence. In other words, if you want to do it, and they agree to do it, you can do it, and God's good with it. Everyone's adults, right? Syncretism, immorality, right? That's 2,000 years ago. We're still struggling with the same thing today. No, seriously. Seriously, the same things. And syncretism, immorality. Church, I want to say this. I say this before. I got to keep saying it. We, church, are to be clearly distinct. Not, not in a bad way, but people come in, this is different, clearly distinct. There's no syncretism here, but I want you to notice this. This is what we really got to notice. Syncretism, immorality, Jesus says, I hate it. Not my words, Jesus, I hate it. Now, some people, they're like, I don't sound like Jesus. I thought Jesus would be like a big old teddy bear, not hating anything. No, Jesus hates some things. God hates some things. Broadly, Jesus hates anything that harms the object of those whom he loves, and sin harms the one sinning, and Jesus hates sin. You know what my biggest problem is? Might be yours as well. I don't hate my sin like Jesus hates my sin. I may dislike it, I may begrudge it, but I don't hate it. Jesus hates it. Jesus hates it. In my prayer, I challenge you, pray this. Jesus, place in me a hate of my sin like you hate my sin. But Jesus says, I count that in your favor. Ephesus, I count that in your favor. You hate that sin. I would say one final thing about this, church. I believe you should hate nothing more than your own personal sin. You should hate nothing more. Nothing should rise to the hate that you have for your own personal sin. Then he's going to give, verse 7, their farewell counsel. Here we go. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's way of saying, hey, listen up. If you got ears, listen because what I just said is exceedingly important. Listen, Jesus is saying, guys, I'm not kidding. Like, this is not for your entertainment. I'm saying something very serious. Please listen. I'm analyzing your church. I'm telling you what the problem is in your church, and I'm told you what the solution is. Please listen. And then he follows with a promise. Here it is. To the one who is victorious, come on, here we go, church, here we go, good, good news, right here. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Dude, so much there. There's a message there. Who's the one giving? Jesus is. Look, it is a right to do what? Eat of what? The tree, which is what? Heaven, everlasting life. Who does it go to? The one who is victorious. Question is, who's that? Who's that? Who is the one victorious? We could do a word study, but I'm going to tell you who it is. Christians. That's who it is. Christians. Those who repent of their sin and call on Christ Jesus to be their Savior. Save me. 
Those are overcomers, victorious. Jesus says that. You do that, man. You do that. You're going to eat, you're going to eat of that tree. You're going to be in paradise. So the letter to Ephesus. You're doing this right. Doing this wrong. Here's how you fix it. In the end, if you're a true believer, with me forever in heaven. So let's return. Let's wrap it up this way. I will probably wrap it this way up every week where we began. We got to be asking ourselves, which of these letters would be sent to me? So here's the question. Christian, have you lost your first love? I think we need to, if you're a Christian, you may ask yourself, have I lost my first love? It's easy to do. Have you lost it? If you have, repent and go back to where you started. Being a, I don't know, a nut for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? In a good way. It's hard, man. Maybe you haven't. My prayer is that most of us haven't, but I, I'm certain that we, we all struggle here. Repent and return. Let's do what we did at first. Last thing I would say is this. You may be here today and you don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. And you know you don't know Jesus. Good news is you can repent and believe and he will save you right now. And my sermon will sound better next week. (laughs) You got God the Spirit, man. So anyway, I love you guys. We're going to get into the second letter next week. I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.